0: I just wanted to share some things that got me thinking and then you can share some things that got you thinking. Okay. But here's some things that got me thinking. Nothing that you haven't heard before. Genesis 2 verse 7 Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. So, God breathed into man, and he was alive. And last week, we were discussing the water of the Spirit and John the Baptist, a theme which we will revisit, I believe, but we also went into... Once again, Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. And Jesus had said to him in John 3.3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we talked about the the culture and history that surrounded that. That, that being baptized as a Gentile proselyte, you you came out as a child newborn. It was understood language that coming out of that water meant that you had experienced a, a new birth. During the Last Supper, Jesus had talked about the new covenant. Right? He broke bread and, uh, and shared the wine and in Matthew 26 verse 26 he said now as they were eating Jesus took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to disciples and said take eat this is my body and he took a cup and he had given thanks and he gave it to them and said Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which, I, which is poured out for many of you for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So he institutes this covenant in the new covenant. And again, this information is not a... Uh, it's not come out of the blue information. To the people he's speaking to when he when he speaks of uh, a new covenant or he speaks of his covenant you're familiar with that new covenant language in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and uh, so in the creation God breathes into Adam and he becomes a living creature and Jesus says, you have to be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that, you know, you have to be born of the water of the Spirit to see the kingdom. And then he's crucified. And the soldier pierces his side. And... You know we talk about all those we talk about the prophecies about you know they looked on the one whom they've pierced and and we make a lot of the hands and feet and rightly so but you know wasn't it Thomas He's like you know shove your hand in my side that that piercing in the side is as important if not more important than the piercings of the hands and feet right John 19 verse 34 One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He knows that he's telling the truth, that that you may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones were broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is in reference to the soldier piercing his side. And blood and water coming out. And part of what I had prepared for tonight, that perhaps we revisit next week is this is this promise of water pouring out or or the pouring out of the actual spirit itself. but this is in the gospel of John and 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 blood and water are coming out, redemption and the spirit are coming out. So that after the resurrection, in uh, chapter 20, you know, he, he, he appears, in, and then in, in verse 19 of chapter 20, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you hold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. It's, it's a part of standard um, traditional Pentecostal teaching and, and, and to a degree some evangelical teaching that the born-again experience for the apostles happened there where Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when they received the Holy Spirit. Narratively, that's highly probable. In other words, his breathing on them and saying receive the Spirit isn't a point of chronology. It's a point of need to receive the Spirit. So the first thing that impacted me on this today was that connection of John 20, John 20, 20, and uh, actually, 22 and Genesis 2 7. God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Okay. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and breathes on them. And I shared a lot last week about, it, you know, and, and several of you here have shared this experience with me, how we were first instructed in these verses. Now this was a. Um, perhaps a technical instruction on Jesus as to what they should do when they heard the wind of the Spirit come on the day of Pentecost, that they should breathe in. So much was made of, of a use of Greek um, grammar that Jesus' breathe in could be a breathe out. Uh, or Jesus' breathe on could have been a breathe in. Okay. I don't think that's even the point. I think that we get enough in the plain English text that Jesus breathes on them and says, receive the Spirit. I think the connection is right there in our face. God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. Jesus breathes on the apostles and says receive the holy spirit and then i thought about intimate relations that when you speak of family or close co-workers you know or or, i'm thinking about you know you're down in the village of a ship and and you're breathing your shipmates air right if you're if you're in the I mean you're right there in the same space if you're working really close with someone if you're mining if you know you're you're breathing the same air but even as you go into just the intimacy of a family relation you know we've just been through a whole um, what should I call it cultural anomaly of or even so far as cultural trauma like I'm, I'm in the, uh, I'm in the portion of of the Naked Bible podcast that's in the 20s. COVID just hit, so it's it's like we're listening to a time capsule, even though it's not that far away. You know, uh, one person who has now gone to his reward, uh, talking with the guy who's hosting about, well, you know, for around in two years we'll host this convention at this point in time. So here's a person who hasn't received a. Um, A a deadly diagnosis, and another looking at we don't know when the end of this COVID season is going to end. And here I am listening to this on the backside of this, in my experience, and yet people are sequestered in their homes. And they're, why? Well, to breathe their own air, right? So they don't breathe somebody else's air. And so our whole society went through this whole mask wearing exercise. Why? So you don't breathe my air i don't get on you and and then i take that reflection to what is to be the most intimate of relations the husband and wife but even beyond that i think about a parent and child particularly a baby you know when when you lay your nose on the baby's skin and you breathe it in it's like nothing smells like a newborn baby that's right you know and and though you protect a child from particularly if it's your first child you know it's like did you wash your hands I don't know if you can hold him have you had a cold don't breathe on him you know you do all these things but you're with your own child and you're like right in there you're just right in their Mm -hmm. face and they're breathing your air and carry that reflection of parent and child to husband and wife and and the sharing of air and closest intimacy and then Jesus steps up to his disciples and he breathes on them you know if you walk up to somebody even today you know uh, close friend and and you breathe on them you have definitively broken personal space Mm -hmm. right you've gotten you've gotten you've broken that boundary of forget us handshake forget a hug I'm breathing on you mm-hmm. I feel your breath on me mm-hmm. I think about the culture that this is this is done in and the scene this is done in it, you know it wasn't if they're gonna feel his breath on them it's got to be in here because they're fully covered <laughs> right it's not like they're stripped down fishing they're inside of a closed room They're sequestered. They're on lockdown because they're afraid. And he shows up and he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. So part of where I am undergoing a theological adjustment is in the recognition of my need to be in continual reception of the Holy Spirit. And the thing that keeps me from the recognition of my continual need of receiving the Holy Spirit is the true belief that I've received Him already. That because I have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and and I believe that that Regeneration of the Holy Spirit is the new birth that he abides in me. And so I've been theologically trapped in a false dichotomy or a, or a false argument. This, I, the, the either or fallacy of, well, either the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a secondary work of grace or you got it at the new birth. That's one form of it, right? What if it's both? And and it is. um, And it's not what I would call a secondary work of grace, but a continual work of grace. That this need for being filled with the Holy Spirit is a flow phrase instead of a fait accompli phase. You know, my cup is full. Versus I'm being filled. That out of this belly will flow rivers of living water. Well, a well can't flow without the source running. And if the source is running, I'm being filled. And if my, if my continual, and I'm just testifying, if my continual stance in worship, in reflection, and, you know, if every time I hear someone saying, oh, Holy Spirit, fill us, and I go, well, we are filled. Or if there's a prayer for, Lord, we need, work, we need your empowering, and I, and I have a knee-jerk and go, if you just believed you had the empowering, you could work on it. God, we need your giftings. But he gifted us already. And, and so there's this argumentation that unfortunately in me builds pride that keeps me from saying, Dear God, I want to interpret when I speak in tongues. Dear God, I want to prophesy more and more. I need the filling of your spirit day by day. So that's to hold that thought. That's where I've been. And then I read this again today. Again, I've been reflecting on this. And I read this again today. And he breathed on them. And once again, I'm brought to that place. Of, of understanding that what I'm involved in is not a religion. It's, it's that the intellectual pursuit of doctrine is necessary. The intellectual pursuit of understanding the theology of Scripture is necessary. But ultimately, my life is dependent on the one who breathes on me the Spirit of God. That my relation with Him should be close enough that I feel His breath giving me life, not as a past tense reality, but as a continual present tense need to be filled with the breath of the Spirit. So you were going to say, Carrie? Yeah.
1: In order to live, you have to breathe in. Amen. But you also have to breathe out. Mm Mm-hmm. So that continual breathing has to happen or else you're dead. Because you can take a breath and hold it and hold it and hold it and never let it out, you're gonna die. Yeah. Or pass out and you take a breath.
2: (laughs) There's that. But
1: but then but then also it's it's a con he fills us to overflowing. Amen. It's an overflowing continually. So we're always filled, and continues to be filled, all the time. Especially when you have that relationship with the Lord. And, and sometimes you get more of the Holy Spirit than you ever thought you could. Because you're not always, you know, it, sometimes it feels like a trickle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like, well, Wow. That's awesome, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if that resonates. Absolutely. That's,
2: you know, I, I know what you're saying, and and the Holy Spirit's always with us because we're, we're born again of God's Spirit. But, you know, I, I really seek to manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, where, in, in signs and wonders, I, I, I really seek the, I need, need to see more of it, and and need to hear his voice more often, you know. Just, um, uh, but God is always with us, you know. But he's, maybe he's not. Maybe his manifest presence is not always with us, you know. Where where we where we see a sign or, a sign. but isn't that we living a sign of his manifest
0: presence in itself? Yeah, we are, but what, what Mr. Cole is saying is, is that it's so, let me reinterpret a little bit. You read, you read the Bible. You read Acts. Um, you could come away like you start reading the narrative of the Apostle Paul. You may, Or even Peter. You, you may come away with the idea that every time these guys turned around there was a miracle happening was not the case. It's definitely not the case because he he first of all Saul encounters the Lord and and the first thing that happens to him is judgment. He's blind. I mean he's afflicted. <laughs> yeah. And and so he's he's met the Lord. Let's just take the wording for what it is. And and um and yes, B, we, we are a we are a sign of, of God's presence, but to see that outwardly, to actually see a miracle, um, a deliverance, to hear the voice of, of the Lord or the witness, you know, sometimes it just feels, and that's the best word for it, for in, my, in my lexicon anyway, it feels more um, real than at other times, where you, you're just, you know, you're in it. And, and those times... Become extraordinary touch points you know I I had a um, I had a real moment when I was 14 and and my my mentors were gonna move out of town I was at this campground and we were toward the end of the festival and I remember it just being in the middle of the night I'm a 14 year old kid and I'm walking around wondering okay what am I gonna do in life now and and it was an hour of the father just talking to me, and all I did was walk and cry. And that that day is still a. I mean, I'm 58. That day is still a touch point in my life. You know, so so Paul, um, Ananias meets him, right. and and in Acts uh, Acts nine. You know, Ananias is obedient to the word of the Lord. So, I'll back up to 10. Now, there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise up and go into the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he's praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. So let's just think about where Saul is at this point he has seen the resurrected Jesus <laughs> okay he's he said you know Lord who are you right he's, he's had this encounter with him and um, and you know he says who are you Lord I am Jesus whom you perse- persecuting go into the city and I'll tell you what you should do right so he's seen Jesus resurrected he's saying Lord who are you kind of a deal he ha- he's having a vision. He sees Ananias showing up. He's a blind man, right? So how is he going to know it really is Ananias? Well, the only I, I, the only thing I could take is, is, a, is a promise that his sight's coming back. <laughs> right? So he's seen this vision that a man named Ananias, what did he have, a, a name tag on him? I don't know. Um, Probably going to tell him. Yeah, you're going to tell him. Probably so he's seen, he's, he's seen a man... Um, Ananias come in and lay his hands on him that he might regain his sight. So he knows his sight's coming back. Ananias answers, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So,
2: not to,
0: that's a good answer. Not attempting to to present my own false argumentation, but I've had, throughout my life, multiple conversations with people who are, and I'll do the air quotes, spirit-led, who in in essence, uh, you know, um, they've done something, let's just say odd, without thought, you know? Well, the Lord said I should, so, you know, fill in the blank. I quit my job and moved across the country and I hoped I'd find somebody here. I don't get a job because the Lord said I shouldn't work. I'm in ministry. Uh, you know, all kinds of things. They heard a word and they just went ahead and did it, which, I, nothing wrong with that. That's a good deal. You hear a word of the Lord, you should get it. But it is a relationship. And if you look at acknowledged prophetic peoples interacting with God in Scripture, there's generally discussion. Now, sometimes, yeah, there's discussion, right? Well, why am I doing that? Well, should I do that? And, and God is real in the conversation, too. I mean, when, when Moses pushes back on God's call, God gets ticked off. He's like, look, <laughs> I'm showing up. I gave you this. I gave fine. You can have Aaron help you out. Very happy. You know. Um, so he has the conversation. What am I going to do? But the Lord said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I mean, you know, Saul's job was was dishing out suffering to, to Christians, and Jesus shows up and says, you, I'll show you what it means to hold my name, right? So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him said, first of all, Brother Saul. Yeah. What does that tell you?
2: That- he accepted what the Lord
0: said. Okay. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came. And what does that tell you? That that this this is not just Jesus of Nazareth. You know, we're acknowledging here that this is Lord that showed up to you. Well, also,
1: it's a confirmation to to him that. Somebody else knows this, even though you're the only one that experienced it.
0: Right, right. You, so the Lord has told me. Told me what happened. Yeah. You know, other people around you saw the light. They heard the voice but couldn't make out the words. I'm here to affirm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mouth of two or three witnesses. Yeah. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you that you might regain your sight. Oh. And be filled with... With the Holy Spirit, and be filled. What? Be filled with. Now, if you hold, as I do, a theology that says I'm filled with the Holy Spirit when I get born again, and if you read this narrative as I do, then if I'm going to be intellectually honest, I have to say, well, I guess Saul wasn't born again when Jesus Himself showed up, resurrected, and chose him. Well, that's a non-starter. So now I must change my. Th- yeah. Now I have to change my theology because a prophet sent by Jesus laid his hands on Saul and said, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he arose, next surprise, and was baptized. So here Saul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, regarding the law blameless, encounters Jesus on the road, has a need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and oh, by the way, goes into the baptismal water. Okay, so Hannah, to your point, mm-hmm. this occurs, he takes food, he's strengthened he proclaims Jesus in the synagogue, and all who heard him were amazed. Okay, mm-hmm. so that's that's Acts 19, and then Paul's narrative really takes off. Say about Acts 13, and the calling of Barnabas and Saul. But in the calling of Barnabas and Saul, you got 14 years or so that go by. Yeah. But if you're reading this Bible, you know Saul gets converted. He, he's a blazing fire evangelist in the synagogues. Right, right. You know, he, he's got to escape the city and then he's just this great apostle. Fourteen years later. Okay. Another thing that I've encountered when, when speaking with Christians who um, hold to a cessationist doctrine that the gifts of the Spirit are active today The belief they hold is is that, well, if it's a gift of God, then you could do it all the time. So in discussions, it's like, well, if you believe in healing, why don't you go empty out a hospital? You know, the apostles healed, so you can just go heal. Now, the flip coin of this, from someone who doesn't believe in the gift to someone who does and, and challenges, if that is real and you believe that, you should go to a hospital and empty it is the word of faith end of the spectrum that says, well, if you believe that, you would never be in the hospital? They're both wrong. They're both wrong. Because Paul. It's not
2: that simple.
0: It's not that simple. Paul had people who were sick unto death, he was there. And it was the prayer of saints somewhere else that, that, you know, their perseverance and God's mercy saw this man come off the sickbed. Paul's own son in the faith, Timothy, apparently had some sort of digestive issues. Paul recommended a therapeutic remedy. Drink a little wine. And on
2: the other side of that coin... The young boy falls out of the window and dies, and Paul goes and Paul raises him, him from the dead. dead. So, I mean...
0: Paul shows up into communities with obvious infirmity, physical debility. So, when we encounter a narrative like this from Scripture, and we have a theology that says, always on, all the time, the answer is yes, if I didn't get it, the fault is mine, has to be adjusted. To a relationship with God and his creatures living in a broken world. Does it mean we stop asking for the outcome? No. I believe we all feel this way, but I think it's important to define. Okay. We would like to see that more. Fill in the blank. I would like to see more than miraculous. I would like to see more prophecy. I would like to see. I would like to see more. Conversions. But,
2: okay, and 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 I would too. But you know what? We don't do it. The Lord, the Lord does it. Thanks. And and so, uh, I, and we would like to see the Lord work. But work. but it's, it's His discretion. Right. We we don't have the. I don't have the power to go around and do this or that or. That. And, and make The Lord has has the power to do it, and if He wants to do it, He will. Through me and, or through somebody else.
0: And here's the thing that needs clarification, even though I believe that our motives are pure. Why do we want to see it? Well,
2: sometimes to glorify God, a, to, to be somebody. That, uh, but uh, my, my motive is not that I, I want a from somebody else and wow. I'm doing some great thing. Yeah. I want to see God work. Oh, yeah. in, my, in my life, I, I just... I mean... When, when the Lord, different times He's spoken to me and told me things, and it gives me so much joy to, to realize that the Creator of the heavens and the earth would be to say
0: something to me. Amen. It's it just so humbling and so, I'm so joyful about it. You know, it gives me joy and, and, and it was just. So, so, it, it, me, Go ahead. In one, as- in one aspect of, of the working or the flowing of the Holy Spirit, and it's a major aspect, is the empowerment for prophetic speech. And prophetic speech is a wide umbrella. It's a very wide umbrella. Oh, yeah. I have learned and I have instructed on the gifts of the Spirit in, in a very compartmentalized fashion. Um, these are ministry gifts. These are uh, ascension gifts. These are motivational gifts. These are manifestation gifts. In the understanding that when the author listed those gifts, that was his intent. I say author. When the writer wrote those gifts down, that was the writer's intent, to delineate a specific item list of gifts that belong to a particular group. But that understanding doesn't hold up to a very good scriptural interpretation because that listing has to be viewed in the genre it was written and to whom it was addressed. So in the form that it came to us in Paul's letters, the list is ad hoc. It's just a list. It's it's just a list in Corinthians. It's just a list in Romans. It's just a list in Ephesians, and they're good lists, and we can learn a lot from them, but neither are they exhaustive, nor are they necessarily specific. And by that I mean that though we can stand back and differentiate, or at least an endeavor to differentiate between someone who is a prophet in terms of ministry of a prophet and someone who prophesies and someone who has the quote-unquote motivational gift of a prophet, they may be more blended together than that. Okay? And that as a people of God, anointed with the Holy Spirit, we're called to be a prophetic people. So, that in our congregations and in our meetings, if we're seeking if we're seeking the gifts, first and foremost, from, from the letter to Corinthians, the primary gift to be embraced is the love of God, mm-hmm. shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So in that, in that midsection of, of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 Corinthians 14, where the speaking gifts are highlighted, in particular tongues prophecy, Central in that is, I show you a better way. If I do the miraculous, if I do all this and I don't have love, then what is it, profit? And so that motivation of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, the prime motivation between, a, between prayer and prayer in the spirit is, is to worship God with integrity, Right?
2: Yes, not have, not have, uh, say other things that, or you would benefit because of right.
0: it. Yeah. So in, in my walk uh, in the prophetic, and in particular when we began to learn about what's, what's commonly called personal prophecy, you know, words of prophecy over individuals, the brag, I say the brag, you know. Um, the way that that we have colloquially identified someone as speaking correctly to me was, boy, they sure read my mail. Well, I read his mail. Okay? And though that is true, or can be, is the point reading someone else's mail? What's the point?
2: The point is is to
0: to bless the person. The person be blessed. So... um, after having
2: or or, or, or if he has a need
0: to you know to to identify it or address it so uh, on, on the heels of clarifying that that love is central and that seeking love is central to our gatherings the love of god and to operate in that love of god that is that really is the thing and being moved with compassion jesus you know fill in the blank that being moved with compassion as the main motivator. And and being humble enough to be present, to be used by the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, So so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit. Do, do we qualify for being eager for the manifestations of the Spirit? Yes. I mean, are you eager for a manifestation of the Spirit? Yes. So... Strive to excel in building up the church. This means that it's not a passive thing. That though it is dependent upon the Spirit of God to move, it's also dependent upon me to grow.
2: And our heart to do
0: it. And our heart to be right. The surest way to increase your understanding of what God is saying to you is to increase your understanding of what God has said, past tense, to us, through the proven prophetic word of Scripture. Right? Right. That that vocabulary and that understanding is the bedrock. You know, if I'm going to seek to excel, then I want to make sure I'm speaking right for God. And if I'm going to speak right for God, I want to make sure I understand what God has said. Therefore, one one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So there there has to be an attitude of seeking from God the interpretation of what you've said in a tongue. Even though tongues is primarily a prayer language. To have that interpreted so the understanding is built up in in the congregation. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if I if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So again, in terms of in terms of the principle of love, the operation in a meeting is benefit to the congregation. That if I give a testimony, well, I mean, at the very least it should be in the language of the speaker, so they could they could be blessed by the testimony or by the giving of thanks and say amen, right? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And the law it is written by the, by the people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and, an out, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted of all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is in you of the truth. So, in this... In this operation of edifying the church, edifying the church is a recognition of what God is doing and dealing within us and that we fall down and worship God. That God becomes the ultimate focus of of whatever manifest presence He's pouring out. Amen? And so to, to wrap up my simple reflections of the day is... Is this posture? There you go, sweetie. Uh, I am endeavoring to recapture a posture of humbleness that requests and beseeches God for a continual flow of His Spirit and presence in life uh, and in, in our interactions and in our meetings. No, that's what I wanted to in share. Our walk. In, in our walk. In <laughs> our walk.
2: Amen.